The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right, once again, I want to welcome you to Temple Bible Church. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, initially, we talked about time with this message and uh, all that's going on. And I was like, I am happy to share this stage with friends from Ukraine, hearing the work that's being done there with mothers and fathers dedicating their children. So I'm going to youth pastor mode today and hopefully it'll be quick, but I can't promise anything, okay? So you're here, you're just stuck. (laughs) I guess you can walk out if you want, but uh, we're gonna look at the word today and hopefully it'll be encouraging. Uh, I want to say happy Mother's Day. It's just such a blessing to see all you moms out there. Uh, I want to acknowledge and appreciate all the amazing mothers out there today, including my own. Uh, I would say uh, patience is the key word for my mom. Uh, If anybody knows me, uh, they know my mom needed a ton of patience as I grew up. And then patience uh, uh, for my wife as well, the mother of my four children over there, my beautiful wife, Candace patience with me, probably more me than with my kids, but uh, just appreciate those moms out there. And although we don't tailor a message specifically for moms, we will see uh, within this time today uh, a lot of things we can find in our moms, which is devotion, sacrifice, giving, all these characteristics that we often see in our, in our own mothers. We also acknowledge, though, that some for some today is a difficult day. Uh, maybe we didn't have mothers who were present. Maybe they were absent or maybe they treated us poorly. So this is a difficult day for some. Some who would like to, to be uh, a mom and just haven't had the ability to do that and been prevented in, in different ways, uh, we acknowledge that. And we want you to know that our church is here for you to encourage you to come alongside you. So let's pray as we start together today. God, we come before you acknowledging uh, the beautiful gift that a mother is. Uh, Lord, we praise you for those moms who are so faithful to uh, serve their families, to give, to love, to uh, just have compassion in times where it's needed. For those who have had difficulty, maybe have lost mothers uh, in the past or more recently or been unable to get pregnant or, or maybe have lost babies, Lord, we pray your comfort and strength for them. Give them your power today. Uh, just uh, help uh, those around them, the surrounding community, uh, the body of Christ to encourage them. Bless us as we come to your word today. Give us wisdom in your name we pray, amen. So looking at uh, what we studied last week in Nehemiah 9, uh, we came to understand uh, that there's a power in confession that in Nehemiah 9, the people confessed their sin to God and it resulted in a a mutually agreed upon covenant. Chase uh, gave us a, a little understanding of this. I love this quote from last week that says, the end of confession is not devastation, but adoration. Oftentimes we come to confession and we feel like losers before God, you know, we just sit here confessing our sin, I've just screwed up again, I've messed up again, and we just sit in our devastation, and don't get me wrong, it's important to be sorrowful over our sin, but that sorrow can turn into adoration, that sorrow can turn into commitment, that sorrow can turn into a beautiful relationship between you and God. 
So we can look at the end of chapter 9 and see what happened here after confession took place. It says, in view of all this, we are making a bonding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. The result of this confession was making uh, a commitment to observe and obey God's commands in response to the grace and mercy they received. So we're going to look at, first of all, the people of the covenant today and then the practices of the covenant. The first 27 verses, this kind of helps us with our time because the first 27 verses are names. Literally 27 verses of names. You have three names per verse. So if you get like credit or points, or maybe if you're a kid here and you get points and maybe a a special money for memorizing scripture, here's your chapter. All you gotta do is memorize three names and there's a verse, so uh, you're welcome. Uh, So uh, one through 27, we're not gonna read all the names, but it's basically a list of the people in the covenant. And Nehemiah is mentioned first as the governor, as the leader here, but it's a representation of all the people of God who are in this community, living among these people. And so here we have all these names. It's not an exhaustive list, but a representation of the whole. See, this is a declaration from them, the priests, the Levites, and even common people who are leaders of groups of people. And it's kind of interesting to see the emphasis of community that communities can come together as a whole and make decisions that glorify God and commitments to spending time with God and practicing the covenant. So let's move on to the practice of the covenant, which will be the chunk of our message today in verse 30 to 39. There's the practices of the covenant. And the first practice is the area of marriage. In verse 30, you can see it says, we will not give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. And so here we have a commitment here. We see the same commitment back in Ezra 8 and 9, which I actually had the privilege of preaching that message as well. And so if you want to go back, back and get a more in-depth look at that. You can go on our website and check that out. Uh, I don't know how good it is, but at least we'll give you a little bit of insight into Ezra 8 and 9 and, and this commitment when it comes to marriage. But it's important for us to see maybe two things when it comes to marriage. First of all, these stipulations, they weren't based on racial lines. They were religious lines. So when they say they're not supposed to marry, it wasn't meaning you have to stick to a certain race. The reality is they had to be holy and set apart because of the world they were living in, which is an observation number two, is that people were living among, God's people were living among pagans. So they were trying to be protective of their faith in God because there was so much out there trying to pull them away. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. It should, I mean, even as a dad with two daughters, I even see this and I'm like, man, I take this seriously too. The reality that it's a danger out there. There's so many different directions that you can be pulled by society and so many different combinations of marriages that can take place. Like we've all observed this. When people ignore the admonition in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever and then you say, well, he really loves her or she really loves him and then you see the path of destruction that follows because we don't obey God's commands. And so here we have this command when it comes to marriage. We can also take this further in our own lives to see that it's really any relationship that could cause compromise of our beliefs and commitment. 
So in this principle, it's, it's, it's marriage, but we can take it further even in the friendships and relationships to help us see there's a lot of compromising things that come our way and a lot the world tries to do and Satan sends after us to pull us away. So we see marriage emphasized as a practice, but also the Sabbath in verse 31. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year and will cancel every debt. So you see here on the first day of the week, merchants would come to this city. Merchants would come to the area and they had the opportunity to do business right away. And this commitment, this covenant, caused them to be able to miss out oftentimes on the most lucrative deals. They were almost getting the leftovers of the business deals because of their commitment to God and to not practice any form of business on that day. So it was an interesting thing and it really took a lot of trust and faith for them to say, God will still provide for us even though they're committing, committing to the so this practice was no doubt lost them the opportunities in different ways. The Sabbath was not only meant for a day of worship, it was also meant for a day of rest. It, it mirrors the creation order and in, in, in how God created on six days and on the seventh day he rested. So there's an emphasis on rest as well. This concept of the Sabbath is carried out even through the New Testament, not just in the Old and so even for us today, we can maybe take some encouragement. We're not legalists who are following the distinct laws of the Sabbath, but we can take this concept and really learn from it. So what about us when it comes to the Sabbath? I do need to give you warning for the next, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes when the rest of our time together. This isn't going to be an easy thing to hear for you. And it wasn't an easy thing for me to hear as I studied. This is not your little cheesy Mother's Day uplifting sermon. I'm sorry, this is the passage I was given. So deal with it, I guess, I don't know. But this is what we're about to hear is a challenge and hopefully you take it knowing that I'm challenged as well. I've failed in this area as well. There's no arrogance here. But here's a question. How are we so disciplined and devoted in so many areas of our lives yet we take a nonchalant approach to church attendance and small group involvement. How is it that we can have all our ducks in a row and have our kid at the, at the right place at the right time just so they can get into that game or be at that recital or be here, be there, and we're all over it. But when it comes to devotion, to being together, not just in this room, but maybe gathering as a small group or being together as a family in devotion to Jesus, it's kind of like we're fragile. The littlest thing that comes along just blows us away. And, oh, I can't go today. My dog broke his toenail. I don't know. I love my dog. But the reality is there's so many things that come up that we just allow to just break us when it comes to our involvement together as a body. Why is that? Why is it that we can be so stinking on time, so devoted to Johnny's little baseball game, he can barely even know what base to run to, and we can be devoted to that, right? But when it comes to time together as a body, as a small group, as people who love Jesus, we're fragile. 
It's amazing how this happens. And again, this happens to me too. You see, I distinctly remember as a kid going to a baseball game, and this was a principle my dad laid down, and you'll say he's a legalist once you hear this description. But I look back on him like, thank God for his legalism. I would go to a baseball game on Wednesday night. And I wasn't one of those players, you know, that rode the bench, you know, and, you know, no offense to the right fielders out there, but, like, uh, I played, and, like, I played shortstop, and, and like, I was involved in the game. I, I was leadoff hitter, you know, all that. And, and I would go, and I'd play, and I, my mom was there in the stands, and she knew at around the fifth inning, whenever that time was, guess who was leaving the seven-inning game? Me. <laughs> I was leaving. I was going to youth group. And it was kind of embarrassing. Now, my personality doesn't lead to embarrassment very often, unfortunately, for some in my family. But to me, I was just a competitor. I wanted to stay. I wanted to finish the game and all that. But the reality is, my dad showed a different priority on being with God and his people. I understand this is not, nobody's going to go adopt this approach and pull your kid halfway through the game. Things are different now. I understand that. But the concept is still real. I did not like my dad at that time. I was upset. But you know what it taught me? It taught me time with God as a family was on a whole different level than sports. Devotion to being together was on a totally different level than any other commitment we had as a family. It's interesting, however, when we take time to reflect on this, how busy we've gotten. We all say we learned lessons, right, from COVID. Oh, we're together, family time is so special. I'm gonna be committed now. And we're gonna be in God's word. We're gonna be together around the living room and around the table and be together. It's so amazing what God's taught us and how quickly we've gone to busier than we've ever been. Sacrificing the time together as a family, the time in small group, the time to be together. Even verse 39, look at the end of the passage, the end of the chapter. Nehemiah says boldly, we will not neglect the house of our God. So the benefits of this, I mean, there's five that I put up there, but there's many. It's extremely refreshing to be devoted to Sabbath. It points us to the ultimate rest when God, we get to be with God forever. It gives us a taste of what is to come. It's a tremendous testimony to non-Christians. Now, my coach probably thought I was nuts, and my dad was nuts for doing that. But you know what? I bet he never forgot it. He might even still be talking about it. Like, that kid just left. And it wasn't just like I left and I ditched him. He knew why I was leaving. It shows something different. It gives our kids a totally different perspective on priorities. What are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching them based on priorities and what we show them is important to be at? It teaches our kids and those lessons last forever. I'm 47 years old and I'm still talking about that lesson from when I was 11. I'm still talking about it. I'm not talking about some inside the park home run I had. I'm talking about what God used that hurt me at the time or was important for me to learn. It shows that the God, the living God, the creative God that we long to be with him. 
that there's something special that supersedes everything else. So let's get into our last practice. We've got marriage, we've got Sabbath, and last is giving to temple practices found in 32 to 39. We're not gonna read every verse for the sake of time, but if you look through those verses, it basically talks about lots of different offerings Offerings of grain, offerings of wood, offerings of animals, offerings of even dough. If you look in there, they even sacrificed dough uh, for the temple practices and their own children as well. There's a concept written there and it can be found in verse 35, which is first fruits. Now, first fruits has been misused and misrepresented by the prosperity gospel and has been told that you bring your first fruits then you're gonna get extra blessings, right? And you do it for selfish reasons, but here it's different. The first fruits is the best of the best. The ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate offering. And so we see here an issue that takes place often. Uh, as the local outreach pastor, I have the opportunity to be involved in uh, nonprofits and even more personally, a nonprofit that my wife started, Foster Love, and seeing things that have been donated over the years. I think we have a picture of some items that have been donated, uh, I think, up here. Yes. Uh, I mean, everyone loves Ronald McDonald, but don't get me, get me wrong, but this is something that was donated. Uh, the left are greasy suitcases and bags that smell like cats. And the middle is from Helping Hands, that's their donation area, where someone decided to dump their garbage. Now we groan and we say, oh no, I can't believe that, but then we think about our own sacrifice and our own offerings, and it's like, how often do we give what's not quite so good? Here, Johnny wore these shoes out. They only have one hole in them, but hopefully you'll enjoy them. And we often get to this point in our sacrifice where it's like it's not really a sacrifice at all. We're just giving our, our junk. And God is trying to show us through Nehemiah 10 and through the people of God that they chose to see this differently. Luke 21 gives us a challenge. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them for they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus recognizes this woman's tiny gift as more important and more special and so for us, we get to see not only you know, the bad examples, I don't want to just hit you with some bad examples, here's a good example. First of all, TVC, local outreach, Facebook page, like it, do it now, I don't care. Uh, so very important, here's why. All these needs that come across our avenue and our path go through Gil Holly, who's a friend of mine, a TIST, and he's a buddy of mine, and he sends these things our way, and we put them on there, and you have the opportunity to give, and so many of you, I see my buddy uh, Keith back there, who helps me deliver all this stuff, and he's my partner in crime, taking stuff all over the area, just dropping off dressers, dropping off mattresses, whatever it is. In this one instance, there's, we put a need out there, a high school kid needed a bike, and someone responded, which happens often, like that day, within minutes, they're like, I, I can get a bike. And me being cynical, I blame it on where I'm from, uh, me being cynical, uh, Philadelphian, uh, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's got some bike, you know, his kids used to ride, is probably collecting dust, and he's gonna bring it up to the church. Well, he kind of blew me away, and God, you know, 
made me confess my cynical attitude. Uh, and he actually said, no, I want to do something special and I want to know if I can get this kid's contact info because I want to take this kid to academy and let him pick out his own bike. Wow. There's giving. There's first fruits. And he took him to pick out whatever bike he wanted. And this kid got to see this sacrifice that was unlike most sacrifice he's probably observed over the years in church and through the body. Amazing. You see, throughout history, the principle has been lost that all we have is from God. This practice of giving the first of everything they were blessed with challenged their faith and trust in extreme ways. So with us, we struggle with an emphasis on possessions. We get obsessed with obtaining more. We get nervous about losing what we already have. We worry about the future. And here Jesus gets to slap us around with Matthew 6, 19 to 21. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is your treasure? Better yet, how about you ask your kids, if you have them, where's your treasure? Ask your friends, your coworkers, what they would say you treasure most. And then like me, I was this week, be convicted and confess. Where is your treasure? And we get into first fruits and then we get into the firstborn. They even offered their firstborn children to the service of the temple. We can even see an example of that back in the book of Samuel in his life. And this firstborn, it's not like our firstborns. You know, I have my firstborn over there. Uh, it's not like, like that. Uh, she's special. She's sweet. I love her. But here, firstborn sons especially, they were a commodity. If you had a firstborn son, you were rich. And you know what they did with that son? These people made a commitment in this covenant to give them back to the practice of the temple, to serve in the firstborn area. And it's interesting, author Derek Thomas puts it this way. He says, uh, not even your precious children are yours, God seems to be saying. They are mine to do with as I please. Wow, what attitude do we have about our kids? Do we hold open hands when we have our children to say, take them, use them, God, whatever you want to do, send them across the world. What? No. I want to manipulate them and show them where they should go and the path they should take because I think I know what's better for them than God. Now, we're called by God to help our kids. Don't get me wrong. And I give lots of advice, probably way too much in my kids' opinion. But sometimes we're called to hold open hands and say, here they are. I'm giving them to you. So the generosity here is important. John Mark Comer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, sums up our struggles with Sabbath, Sabbath, rest, generosity, and materialism this way. Ultimately, nothing in this life apart from God can satisfy your desires. Tragically, we continue to chase after our desires ad infinitum. The result, a chronic state of restlessness or worse, angst, anger, anxiety, disillusionment, depression, all which lead to a life of hurry, a life of busyness, overload, shopping, materialism, careerism, a life of more which in turn makes us even more restless and the cycle spirals out of control. 
I told you this wasn't a feel-good message. I'm sorry. Uh, it's just what I got and what God has for us today. See, this radical repentance in chapter nine, it showed itself in practice, practical sacrificial acts in chapter 10. It had to be such a great testimony to the pagan society that God's people were living in. The covenant showed that there was nothing in their lives that God had not blessed them with. This created a deep attitude of stewardship. Get it? Stewardship, not ownership. It is no different for us today. We can show a lost world what true stewardship of all areas of our lives looks like. Time, commitment, church attendance, small group involvement, family time around the living room, reading scripture together. Just like those mentioned in in this chapter and all have gone before us, we have failed to keep covenants. These people made this covenant, but you think they kept it forever? Some of them broke it the next day, right? Enter the ultimate promise keeper, Jesus Christ. I use that word ultimate because it reminds me of my youngest son. My youngest son, he loves Minecraft. He loves anything animated, comics, whatever it is. And when he describes things to me, he often uses the word ultimate. It's the ultimate whatever, the ultimate. I'm like, I know, Owen, I get it. And when I talk about Jesus and his covenant keeping, he is the ultimate. Because none of us keep our promises. But he has kept his and every one that he's ever made. To sacrifice himself on the cross, to give of his life, his blood for our sins. As we conclude, I think we can focus on maybe this one more quote. Whitney Woolard from the Bible Project, she writes for them on their blog and had this amazing statement when it comes to the ultimate covenant keeper. Abraham, Noah, all these others that couldn't keep covenants. Here's Jesus. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham who trusted his father even to the point of death and so became a blessing to all nations. He is the obedient Israelite who perfectly kept, fulfilled, and thus transcended the law of God. He is the royal son of David who inaugurated God's kingdom in his life, death, and resurrection and now sits at God's right hand reigning as shepherd king over the earth and will continue to reign forever over the new creation. Praise God, we have a promise keeper, a covenant keeper that came to us when we couldn't keep covenants ourselves, came to us when our priorities are screwed up, came to us when our giving is all messed up and we think we own things and we think we have control. He came to us in our sin and he gave us grace and he gave us mercy. we can be thankful for this covenant keeper. Let's pray. God, we praise you that you don't leave us alone in our sin. Lord, we get so consumed by the offerings of this world and the schedules we have to keep and the things that we have to be involved in with our kids. And God, I'm, I know that these things can be valuable. I know by experience, God, that these things can be great. But God, I also know how easy it is for me to make it an idol. How easy it is for me to get caught up in the things of this world. Lord, help us, help me, help these people to be stewards of what you've blessed us with. 
Lord, for those that don't know you, I pray that they will trust you as their savior today, that they will be convicted of their sin and their need to acknowledge you as king of their lives. Lord, we thank you for being our covenant keeper. We thank you, God, that we can confess and that we can commit our lives anew to you today. Bless us as we go out this week and as we celebrate our mothers today. In your name we pray, amen.